0: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
1: So a lot of listeners have questions about we've kind of talked very briefly about early retirement, that it exists. It's a concept before on the show. Um, but I know most of our listeners are busy trying to figure out how they are going to even save for retirement, let alone early retirement. But I really wanted to address this because I think it's really interesting and I am actually pretty active in the community of people that are interested in early retirement. So we have two awesome guests today. Our first guest is Deacon Hayes, who's the founder of WellKeptWallet.com and the author of You Can Retire Early. He has been a contributor for the U.S. News and World Report, Investopedia, Clark Howard, and more. And I'm really excited to have you on, Deacon.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thank you.
1: So... Let's just assume we know nothing about the concept of early retirement. What exactly is your definition of early retirement? And like all the people I know of that early retire like work in a tech company that sells out or they invent something like silent Velcro. Is that what you need to do to retire early?
0: No, no, no. And I think, yeah, really focusing on the definition first would be being able to do what you want when you want, right? When you work for somebody else as an an employee, they tell you when to come in. They tell you how much you make. You, know, you have to uh, ask for vacation off, those type of things. So early retirement, in, in my definition, is you don't have to do any of that. You, you basically have the, the ability, the financial resources to do what you want, when you want. Um, and there's three different paths uh, that you can do that. And uh, the first one is going to be real estate. Second one would be stock market. Third one, entrepreneurship. Um, And there's just multiple ways and and multiple different, you know, people, income levels that can achieve it. It's not just for those that sell out a tech company.
1: So you just said three incredibly scary words, real estate, stock market and entrepreneurship. I guess I should say that's five. (laughs) Uh, All of those things sound pretty terrifying if you're used to working for a traditional employer. Um, What are kind of like what are the basics of what real estate, stock market and entrepreneurship look like when it comes to early retirement?
0: Sure. So for some people, if they're more hands on and they like to, um, you know, fix up things, um, you know, real estate could be a good option because you could buy low and be able to, you know, fix it up yourself and put a tenant in there and be able to rent it out and cash flow it. Um, And so, you know, uh, basically just being able to say, okay, let's figure out how we can come up with enough money. And and typically it's going to be 10 to 25 percent cash down to buy your first investment property. Um, and you know, fix it up, rent it out, and then buy your second, and your third, and your fourth. And depending on how much income you need, that you know will determine how many rental properties you need. So, um, you know, that, that's that's oversimplified, but that would be that first route. Uh, the second route, which most people are familiar with, is the stock market, right? Which is kind of what anybody who invests for you know regular retirement they're going to have a you know 401k or an IRA of of some sort. Um, and, you know, but the reality is, is you can't touch those dollars until, you know, you're 59 and a half. And yes, you can do some conversions and things like that. But the reality is, is you'd have to figure out ways to be able to invest for, um, you know, getting your money out sooner rather than later, if you're going to retire early. Um, and so a lot of times that could be like an individual brokerage account. Um, but basically just finding, you know, index funds is kind of the way that I lean and ETFs where, you know, here's things that have proven track records over time, uh, that I can kind of look at and say, hey, I can forecast this percentage that I'm going to get over time. Um, And so that's the second way. And then entrepreneurship is actually my favorite uh, because it involves more creativity. It's definitely for more people that are risk takers. It's not for uh, the faint of heart. So, um, you know, there are ups and downs. But when I talk about entrepreneurship, I like to bootstrap businesses. I don't like debt. I don't like outside capital. I like to work with your skill set, work with your, um, you know, the things that people are willing to pay you for, and build something, and then hire someone that can basically run it, right? So you build it, and then hire someone to run it, and then you can kind of remove yourself from the picture, have that time that you're looking for. So that's kind of a basic overview of the of the three different areas.
1: I mean, that all sounds excellent, but all of that sounds like things where you need to have some money to get started in it, right? So like. How, talk to me about how, you know, in your book, you you talk about how early retirement is possible for folks at a variety of income levels. But, um, you know, in a if I live in Portland where the, you know, I make twenty five thousand dollars in the a year and the average house is close to. Four hundred fifty. I think actually we just crossed the five hundred thousand dollar threshold for the median house in Portland. What what does that look like? Can you share an example of someone with a median or a low household income that actually achieved early retirement? Um, like, what are kind of the factors in that?
0: Sure. So, uh, you know, each each different path has its advantages. So, the one that has the most advantages in what you're talking about would be entrepreneurship. Um, and there's a there's a great book. Um, I think it's called "A Hundred Dollar Startup." where he talks about all of these people, these are real life people that have created businesses on, you know, like a hundred bucks or, you know, less. I think it's less than a thousand is really kind of the metric. Um, and so you can say, OK, maybe you only make twenty five thousand dollars. But if you've got a skill set where, you know, there's this uh, there's a guy that he sharpens barber scissors and <laughs> makes like 50 bucks per sharpening. So if he does five of those a day, that's two hundred and fifty dollars. Right. Right. So at some point, um, you know, you you do that, you know, one day a week. That's an extra grand a month. Right. Um, So you start to look at, like, what are my skill sets? How can I make money with it? And think beyond your current salary, your current, you know, situation. And that starts to unlock a lot of opportunities. Right. Because at some point, that guy that sharpens barber scissors could actually have an apprentice. And he could pay that apprentice, let's say, $20, right? And then he makes the, the spread, which is $30. So um, it, it is less about how much you make, and it's about what you do with what you make. And so the entrepreneurship route kind of lets you do it with less capital. The real estate route, uh, that would definitely, you know, you, you, you can't do zero money down. You have to put some skin in the game. So that would involve capital. Uh, stock market, That that's something where if you can live a more frugal lifestyle, and when I say frugal, I don't mean like, beans and rice. I mean, you know, you just are very cognizant of the, the decisions that you make to where you can save yourself an extra 500 or or 1000 bucks a month to go towards, you know, this early retirement in the stock market. Um, then then it's a matter of just automating it, right? And saying, okay, I've cut my expenses down to this much and I have $500 a month to put away towards retirement. And 500 times, you know, 12 is 6000 And then you multiply that out in your return. And then you can have a target retirement date. So, uh, very simple, but not easy.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. This all sounds simple, but not easy, right? The uh, Go ahead. yeah. I'm also with real estate. You know, I'm I'm one of those people that's um uh, like there's I was hoping to buy you know to live in and and also as an income earning property, but Portland got really crazy. But one of the folks that I'm a huge fan of uh, is Paula Pant from AffordAnything.com, who's a big proponent of don't you don't need to buy where you live if you're buying for um, having some sort of passive income, you know, separate income. She's like, yeah, houses are really expensive where you live. That doesn't mean you. if you're buying for an investment property, you don't necessarily need to buy in the same city as where you live. Um, And you buy based on the numbers of rental income as opposed to buying based on the numbers uh, buying based on what you want to live in. What actually is a good investment? Um, and that can be a really excellent way to build up income if you, even if you are, you know, renting in your own town.
0: Yeah, that's one way. And yeah, Paul's got a great story and she's got some great case studies of houses that she's bought in, like, I think Atlanta and such. Um, the, the, another one that I like even better is um, maybe buying, like, a duplex, right? Where you live in half of it, somebody lives in the other half, and they basically pay the mortgage, right? Um, and, and so that, that's a great way to get started where if it's really expensive where you are, you know, if you have that, that availability to buy a duplex, um, or even more, um, that'd be something worth considering as well.
1: Right. As long as you don't live in a city where a duplex is absolutely out of reach, right? The average <laughs> sure, duplex sure. in Portland is like a million dollars, which you are not going to be able to finance. <laughs> uh, right, you right. are not going to be able to finance on a normal income, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, um. Yeah. So I, you, you mentioned being frugal and le- living on. Uh. You know, doesn't necessarily mean living on beans and rice. But in your book, you really talk about how living on a budget is a really big factor. Uh, in creating an early retirement plan. So we talk about budgeting all the time and on Oh My Dollar, and we're a huge fan of it. But what sort of considerations go into budgeting for early retirement compared to just normal budgeting?
0: Yeah. So think about it this way. Every purchase that you make will impact your ability to retire early, right? And so it's really being conscious of how important is this purchase. And so, you know, sitting down, having a budget, I, I actually like to start with a spreadsheet or, you know, at least a piece of paper so I can see everything in one place. And then, you know, there's lots of tools and stuff that you can use like mint and personal capital that are free, but, um, you know, really putting it down on paper and going through line by line and saying, is is this expense necessary? If not, I need to get rid of it. And is there a way that I can get it lower, right? So, for instance, I mean, when was the last time you shopped around your auto insurance? When was the last time you called your cell phone provider and asked if they had new plans available? I mean, there's ways that you could actually reduce your expenses and not even tap into your lifestyle at all.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the things that I like to emphasize is even, especially if you're at the lower on the lower side of the income scale, or you make a median income, if you if you think that if your money's kind of on autopilot and you're not doing a lot of budgeting and you're not being aware of it, people don't realize that something as simple as like seventy dollars a month that they're overpaying because they don't want to call Comcast and negotiate on their darn cable because calling Comcast is the worst. Uh, <laughs> you know that seventy dollars a month, over compounded, could could shave seven years off your working career. Um, if you really start to look at these things in terms of compound interest in in just index funds, uh, you you really can start to see how it really can impact your ability to shorten your working career. And for me, you know, there's, there's kind of two camps, right, in the early retirement world. There's the FI camp, which is financial independence, which doesn't necessarily mean that you stop working. It just means that you have enough assets where you you're in control um, that you can choose to stop working that you've got a lot of leverage um and then there's retire early which is actually stopping working um, and hopefully that comes with some financial independence <laughs> and not just retiring with no money um and I think I think that that's a really people here retire early and they go but I like my job so why would I want to retire early and Understanding that having those assets gives you so much leverage, it gives you the ability to change your mind, as compared to oh my god, if I lost my job next month, I would I would be out of my house.
0: Yeah, and and I def I definitely lean more on the financial dependent side because I actually enjoy working. Um, but I think what what it is is I, I used to work for a financial planning firm, and I remember I was going to go to Disneyland with my family, you know, and. And I I asked for the time off, and they said, oh, you know what? Um, Black Friday is actually a half-trading day, so you have to work that day. And I'm thinking, like, oh, my gosh, we have hotels, we have tickets, we got all this stuff, and now... I might not be able to go you know i and, and i'm like this is this is a big deal it's like they control my life you know and i didn't want that control i didn't want someone else to have control of it right i want to be able to say no if i want to go on vacation with my family i have the freedom to do it so i'm definitely more on the freedom side than the retire early sit my ties on a beach type you know side
1: right yeah no totally and that's i so what but what is the difference between financial independence and just being self-employed because we have lots of broke freelancers that are listening to this and are going like sure i can go to disney whenever i want but i can't really afford it (laughs) so uh you know what what what's that difference
0: yeah so it's going to be that that those financial resources right so do you have enough financial resources that no matter if you work or not, you're going to be okay. You can afford any Disneyland trip. You can go to the Blue Bayou and eat dinner there and not have to bring your own food into the park. You know, um, and so really just uh, that you have enough financial resources to cover your expenses basically for the rest of your life. Now the interesting thing is for self-employed is it's a little bit different because your income can be variable, right? Where if you had a rental properties, you know your rent's going to be pretty much fixed. You got to know what your expenses are. Yeah, you'll have some you know, repairs here and there, but it's gonna be pretty consistent. Um, You know, so when it becomes when it comes to being self employed, I really want people to be a little bit more conservative uh, and make sure that they have maybe, you know, double the amount of recurring revenue, um, or income, net income, I should say, so that they can be comfortable that like, okay, if I stop working, and I have somebody else managing this, I'm still going to have income coming in, uh, and things are going to be okay.
1: Yeah, totally. All right. We talked about budgeting but let's talk about lifestyle creep, which is one of my favorite topics. I like to call it lifestyle inflation. You refer to it as creep in your book. What is it? How do we avoid it?
0: <laughs> yeah, this is one of the most difficult things because as we make more money, right, we we see shinier objects like a newer car or a bigger house or um, you know, maybe burritos. a nicer gym membership. I mean, more lavish vacations, right? Because we're like, Hey, I make more money and therefore I can afford all this extra stuff. But the challenge is, is that can actually impede our ability to retire early. So it's, it's really kind of sitting down and saying, okay, what's really important to me, right? Like, why do I want to retire early? So for me, it was, I want to be able to spend more time with my family and not be a slave to somebody else. I mean, a slave is kind of a, a, a harsh word. Let's just say, just not have someone else control my life. Um, when it comes to my finances, um and and also being able to travel right some people want to have that flexibility to, to to you know travel the world and that kind of thing um but basically saying okay whatever those priorities are you can't let other parts of your lifestyle uh, increase if it's going to be at the expense of those things that are really important to you so that helps you have a filter when those purchases come or those opportunities come you say you know what i would like to have that newer house but you know, that might take another seven years to retire early, and I would rather spend time with my family over that seven years than, you know, work in a corporate environment. So, um, it really helps to alleviate, you know, kind of the stress that comes along with owning stuff and, you know, increasing, you know, the amount of things that you own and things that you do and really focusing on your early retirement plan.
1: Yeah, um, you know, I we talked a, a little bit about this on the splurges episode, um, but one, first, we always talk about how you need to start with your values when you're setting your budget. And it sounds like values are often a really big driver in financial independence and choosing to live according to your values by, by you know, saving a lot of money. But one of the, the big things is, you know, so I did this huge trip in September where I went from Dublin, Ireland, all the way to Shanghai, China by train. And I had so many people tell me... Like, oh, I wish I could do that, but I could never afford that. And I go, like, I make less than, (laughs) I take home less than $20,000 a year. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I know that you make better money than me. I just choose not to eat out at restaurants. I don't drink alcohol. I don't have a car. And those are choices that I'm making because to me, the trade-off of being able to do that is worth it. Um, And early retirement is one of those trade-offs that you can choose to make.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's interesting, there's a guy that I interviewed, uh, his name was Adam, on my podcast, where he traveled the world for a year on less than twenty grand, And he just fascinated me because I was like, uh, just like you said, I mean, that, that, that's an amazing thing that you did, um, but just to be able to say like, you know, hey, I traveled the world and it didn't cost me, it cost me less than the average person makes in America, right? Like half, you know? So um, it is possible, but you got you to gotta create a plan and follow it.
1: Yeah. All right. So- Hopefully, we got our listeners really stoked on early retirement um, and financial independence. And that, you know, it's possible at a bunch of different income levels. But if they're interested in this, how can they go about starting to craft their early retirement plan?
0: Yeah, the first thing they got to do is, is sit down and determine their why that we kind of briefly touched on. But that that's going to be kind of the what what guides their path, right? and so you know if the why is hey i want that freedom i want to spend more time with my family i want to be able to do more exciting things i want to be able to travel whatever it is you know write that down you know even i tell people uh find pictures and you know put them on your refrigerator put it inside your your car uh in the visor you know figure out ways that you can kind of make this more of your day-to-day life like these this is where you're heading right once once you buy into that Everything else will be easier to figure out, right? Like, if you got to call Comcast, you're like, I don't care that I'm calling Comcast. Like, I'm going to be traveling to Hawaii next summer, you know, or whatever, you know. (laughs) So, um, really letting that why guide you. And then the the numbers are the next important part, right? So, sitting down, doing a budget, and doing something that's realistic. Um, By no means do I want people to do something where they feel like their life is restricted and they're, you know, they're not going to have fun for the next 15 years. It's you budget in fun. You, you, you start out with, you know, the first coat of paint and you just say, okay, this is where I'm at. And then you start to fine tune it, uh, you know, every month, you know, you, you get better as you practice and as you do it. So really those are the two things. Discover your why, start tracking your finances on a monthly basis, and then make tweaks as necessary.
1: That is awesome. And it sounds like exactly what you're saying about early retirement is what we tell everybody to do on the show anyway all the time. So uh, that's excellent. Okay, so you wrote a book on this. Where can our listeners go to find it? Yeah,
0: so the best place is at wellkeptwallet.com slash retire. Um, and so really would love to help anybody who wants to retire early uh, get there. And so we're actually giving away a course for free. All the details are on that page, but it's wellkeptwallet.com slash retire.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Deacon. I really appreciate you taking the time today. And I hope our listeners are really stoked about early retirement and realize that it is possible at a bunch of different income levels.
0: I hope so as well. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: Thanks a bunch. Bye. Douglas Soy is the founder of Portland Underground Grad School, a school for lifelong learners. He gained financial independence at age 42 after living on 20,000 a year for 20 years as a lawyer school teacher, climate change activist, and investing the rest. That earned him financial freedom at age 42 to do whatever he wants with his time, which includes after soccer, soccer, napping, and traveling, helping people take control of their finances, make a plan, and live the life they truly want. I'm so excited to have you on, Douglas. Thanks, Elaine. Um, Yeah. So, you know, a lot of our listeners have they've heard me kind of refer to early retirement in the past and financial independence, but maybe don't have like a very good grasp of like what it actually means. So I'd love to hear your story and like what what brought you to get into the financial independence movement and like what it actually looked like to live on less than 20K for 20 years in order to become financially independent.
2: Sure. So my story is um, I graduated from college and the first job I had after college was at the Justice Department in Washington, D.C. And I made $25,000 a year and I spent 15 of it. And uh, I mean, I felt rich <laughs> um, it, because I, w- I was pretty poor in college. Uh, I came from an immigrant family um and didn't have a lot of money. So I actually lived on $5,000 a year in college. Mm-hmm. And so when I like spent 15, I felt it was literally tripling my consumption. Yeah. Um, and so at age 22, I just sort of like made a philosophical decision, both um, in terms of my own finances, in terms of um, the environmental impact, and just generally a philosophical desire not to have too much. I decided that no matter how much money I made... In the future, that's how much money I, I I drew the line at $15,000. And so for the next 20 years, um, uh, I was a lawyer, um, I was a teacher, I was a climate change activist, but I also had like long periods of unemployment, like two or three years twice. Um, but because I only spent, uh, it went up to $25,000 with inflation, but, um, because I only spent that much per year and I invested the rest, um, when I got laid off at age 42, I realized I just didn't need to work anymore. And the definition I have for financial independence is when your passive income, i.e. Um, the the money that your money generates per month equals your monthly uh, expenses, um, you don't have to work for a living anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is this comes back to something we talk about on Oh My Dollar all the time, which is that like you have to actually know what your monthly expenses are in yes. order to to determine that. Um, and a lot of our listeners got into budgeting by listening to this show, and kind of are just now getting to the point where they've kind of got a grasp on what their expenses are. Um, and like, how did you? How did, was did budgeting come really naturally to you? Did you did you follow like an actual monthly budget, or did you just you know? Pull out five thousand dollars a year and say this is all I'm spending. <laughs> what was your method?
2: Yeah. Um, well, I, I I did a just one of the things I talk about in the course I teach, financial freedom, um, with Portland Underground Grad School, is that um, you have to get yourselves yourself emotionally right before you can do the budgeting, or the budgeting won't work. And so one of the great advantages I had was uh, my money script. Um, You know, the stories that I learned as a kid about money were about frugality. And so emotionally, I didn't like spending money. For example, like, I've never ordered a soda at a restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't drink. Um, I don't do a lot of things that other people do because it didn't feel like a good use of money. Um, So every purchase that I make, um, I have to think about pretty carefully Um, the way I... I talk about is other people find pleasure in spending and spending causes me a little bit of pain
1: yeah we've we've talked about this before in the show because i'm i'm really very much built the same way um and a lot of that comes down to like how you were raised and all of the the lessons you get about money explicit or implicit when you're when you're growing up the like i it turns out that like i hate spending money and i value saving i get more of a thrill from saving than i do from spending money um and we've talked extensively on the show about how i overanalyze all purchases almost to the point of the detriment but that that kind of emotional we all do emotional spending and money is emotional at the core and yes. one of the things that that i think is really important when considering this is If you're looking towards financial independence simply because you don't want, all you want is to not do something, then you're not going to be very happy with the end result, right? You know, the people that are pursuing only retire early or only financial independence because they hate what they're doing right now, you're not going to magically get better the second you don't have to go to work. (laughs) Yeah,
2: um, I, I, I help people write financial manifestos and I'm sure like... Your listeners know about those, but basically, what is the life that you want to move towards? Because you get much more energy moving towards something you want, as opposed to running away from
1: something you dislike. Turns out that works a lot better, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The um, yeah, for me, like so much, I I'm I'm terrible at the earning side of the equation, and I'm great at the saving money side of the equation, and um, one of the big reasons that that's true is that the stuff that I enjoy doing and the stuff that motivates me to get out of bed uh, all tends to be terribly paying work because uh, I you know like I've been a Catholic worker which is you live in voluntary poverty I did two years in AmeriCorps like my propensity for low paid work zine librarian is not a very well paid <laughs> job and um, but I think one of the really awesome parts about pursuing financial independence for me is that it took very little of it took less than the median income in Portland for me to get to the point where I was saving 59% of my income because it turns out if you're used to living on a thousand dollars a month, you know, when you're working a nonprofit job, as soon as you're making $30,000 a year, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is, yeah. this is really easy. Um, And this comes back to what our last guest was talking about, which is avoiding lifestyle creep. Yes. So you were a lawyer, Yes. lawyers, public interest lawyers, even who don't make quite the money that corporate lawyers do. They still are surrounded by other lawyers who have this expectation that because you are a lawyer, you should have the house and the car and everything to go with it. How did you avoid lifestyle creep?
2: Um, I guess this again, my my money scripts were just stronger than what I was what was around me. Like I just I never wanted to spend money. Again, it still hurt more um, than. It felt good. I think one of the interesting things, and I totally agree, with everything you're saying, Lillian, is, um, you know, in in the Millionaire Next Door. One of the things they talk about is that um, high net worth families do two things: they play both great defense and great offense. And you know, for your listeners and for most of the people uh, that come to Pugs and take my course, most people play pretty good defense because they have low. Um, salaries, right? And so they've learned to live um, on not very much. And your story is super impressive. 57 or 59% um, savings rate off of a low income is fantastic. But um, one of the things is that at some point, it becomes easier to produce great offense, which is producing more income than it is to to um, cut any more fat off of your consumption. So one of the things I, I like to talk to people about is um, instead of trying to script and save even more, you're going to actually find greater greater savings by just producing more income each year.
1: Yeah. This is the part that I'm still not very good at. <laughs> <laughs> we, As I've said on the show before, this is about how to manage your money, not how to find more of it. Um, the, uh, But, you know, so, but that's one of the things, like, so you have this very helpful money script, and so do I, where we're, we're super frugal. I might even say cheap in my case. Um, but, and, the, like, people are like, oh, that's great, and that's excellent, but that's not what I value. Like, they're like, I'm naturally a spender, or, like, but I really like shiny, pretty things. How, how do you help people work through kind of, like, money scripts that are really hurting their ability to build wealth?
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I I talk about is um, what is it that you really want in life? And for me, like, um, the question always goes back to what is wealth? And for me, um, like, wealth is time. It's time to do the things that I want, you know, be creative, um, you know, go travel. Like, uh, later this year, I'm doing a round-the-world trip uh, for three months. um, um, And for me, wealth... Is being able to do what you want. It's not having more things and spending 40 hours a week um, at a job for 40 years. And actually, the vast majority of Americans, ages 55 and above, 55% of Americans do not have any retirement savings. They're going to rely on Social Security, which is not enough. So that's the first thing I'd say. Like, time wealth is far more important to me than like monetary wealth. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you've, your listeners know about this. Like, you can buy things, but it's only a momentary pleasure when you buy things. And then um, you have to buy more to keep on getting that pleasure. One of the things I like talking about is the Swedish word lagom, which means enough. And in sw- in Swedish, uh, lagom or enough is better than too much. So mm-hmm. a lagom house is better than having too much house. Lagom meal is better than eating too much. Um and so, having the satisfaction of enough is much better than just always grabbing and grasping for more.
1: Yeah, all the people I know that seem to be very well adjusted about money, a lot of which are, you know, much later in their life uh, than me, but but have really what appears to be very healthy attitudes about money. Almost all of them have gotten to that point where they realize that like acquiring stuff is not. Um, doesn't feel as good as as kind of that momentary glee of like, oh, I got this thing, and you know one of the things we've we've talked about before on the show is this idea that acquiring acquiring things that you don't hold on to really can often make you feel worse in the in the tail end, right? So like, I one of my the my big kind of it's the common the common phrase in the financial independence community is Gazangus pin, which is essentially the thing that I get that I like to purchase that I don't actually know why I accumulate it and it doesn't add that much value to my life are like pretty stickers. I really like stationary, like exceptional stationary. And that's the thing where like, I will get this like, I'm going to get a new planner and it's going to solve all the problems in my life and it's going to be the best paper ever. And then the worst feeling to me is that I spent money. I spent forty dollars on this planner, and it's July, and I've stopped using it. Yeah. And um, and I, I think that tapping into the understanding that that it's that often buying things is very fleeting can really change things. But if you're coming from if you're coming from a poverty background and you've always not had enough, there enough is it always going to require more, not less. How do you break that script that's there? Because that's something that I, like, I've like. i always really struggled with, you know?
2: Yeah, one of the things I, you know, again, um, yeah, that's tough. Like, uh, I, I think a lot about um, wealth in relation to uh, race and poverty. Um, and that's something we discussed in my course. But um, that emotional feeling of not having enough that comes from so from society, right, not having enough and more importantly, not being enough is something you can't solve with money anyway. Um, and so uh, I have a friend, African-American, who has dug himself out of that um, hole, if that's the right metaphor. One of the things he tells um, tells people is um, the best way to do it is realize your future self. What do you want your future self to have? And um, when you can think about projecting to the future, it helps delay what you feel like you need in the present.
1: Yeah, definitely. We talk about the future self all the time. You're hitting all of the notes. <laughs> the, is, we talk about future self all the time on this show. Um, so, you know, one of the things I was really interested in talking about was the behavioral a- aspects of FIRE. You know, it's it's pretty easy. Like, if you're interested in financial independence, retire early. You can find plenty of places on the Internet where there's very excited people about it. Um, but what is actually necessary for people to do it? Like, what support systems do you need? What systems do you need to set up for yourself? What kind of community do you need to set up? Um, like, what does that look like?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the, the question that I've been trying to cr- to crack um, in my financial freedom course. Um, like, yeah, there's tons of resources on the Internet if you want to learn about this. And, like, um, you know, I belong to a bunch of Facebook groups about fire, fire, uh, Financial independence, retiring early. Um, a lot of people love talking about it, but there's a huge step be- between learning and doing, and um, making things actionable. And you're actually hitting all the right notes already. Um, it's, it's the number one thing for long-term success is a is a support system, and so the metaphor that I use is um, is the gym. Um, apparently. Th- if you join a gym, you're 17 times more likely to reach physical fitness goals than you are if you don't join a gym. Interesting. And, you know, um, the opposite side uh, is, you know, just having intention and just hoping. Like, uh, apparently less than 10% of people who make New Year's resolutions actually achieve them, right? Because um, there's a difference between a system and a goal. Like, a goal is, like, I want to... You know, reach financial independence in 10 years. But a system is like, what are you going to do on a daily or monthly um, level that is going to get you there? And who's going to support you? And what's your learning system? And what's your, uh, what are your intentions on keeping this up?
1: Yeah. So one thing that's been really helpful to me, um, and I... I haven't really recommended this blog very much because he curses a lot. And I also think he tends to cater to people with higher incomes and married folks um, more than my show does. But uh, the community on the forums, on the Mr. Money Mustache forums, are actually like, I went and I keynoted it, the Camp Mustache Canada event. And I like half the people I hang out with in real life are people that I met through this internet forum of people that are interested in financial independence and retiring early. And, you know, most of the time when we hang out, We don't really talk about – we're not there to talk about financial independence, but it's this thread that's running through where you openly acknowledge that, like, if I make this financial choice, I am trading off, you know, years of working. You know, like, I'm adding years to the time it takes me to retire. And that kind of – that thread runs through when you have other friends that are educated about this. And what's also, like, you know, you're the – the, the saying is that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And it turns out if you've got a lot of uh, cheap friends, it helps you be cheap. Oh, yeah. And it helps you also save money. If other people have this value of saving money and being able to value their time in this way, it really helps trickle down to the way that you spend your life. Um, you know, I got my I got my partner on board with um, Financial Independence. And very quickly, when I, when I first met them, they had only champagne and orange juice in their fridge. That was the only groceries they had in their house and otherwise ate, ate out every single meal. And when I sat down and ran the numbers with them and said, like, you could actually be financially independent in a couple years if you, you know, made some of your food at home <laughs> and didn't spend all your money on champagne and orange juice. Um, then it very quickly it was like, oh, there there's the shift, you know, and the amount of money they were spending dropped by like, you know, five, fivefold or something like that in a year. Um, and I, I think it's really important to be able to find places to dive into those those structures. And if you're like, I, I hear the listeners in the background going, I'm just trying to focus on budgeting and saving for retirement at all, let alone early retirement. That's okay, too. That support structures are important, even if you're not focusing on FI. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, again, if you're just focusing on budgeting and uh, and on the defense side, the consumption side, I suggest you spend equal amount of time on the offense side. Like, what are your side hustles? How are you going to improve yourself, um, be able to earn more income in the cr- present career you have or change to a career that would actually earn more income? Again, I think that's just as effective as budgeting.
1: Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Yeah. Um... So one of the things that your course looks into is the hidden assumptions of consumption and debt in our capitalist system. Um, can you give us an overview on kind of how that social pressure can influence our financial planning?
2: Well, it's, it is what you're, uh, what is the term you use? Uh, gazil-
1: Gazinga's pen. <laughs>
2: Gazinga's gazing, gazing, pens. Like, so one of the things with consumerism is um, we buy Gazinga's pens because the uh Consumerism, And if you study any marketing, you realize that consumerism is based on the de- idea that we're going to trigger an emotional need you have, a hole that you feel in your system, and we're going to keep on activating it and then provide a solution, which is our product. And so that is – and that, that actually goes back to the idea of Legam or enough. Like if you realize you're enough without having to buy anything um, – suddenly you don't actually feel the need to buy anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the hidden assumption of capitalism and of consumerism is if I buy this, I'm going to be happy, i.e., I'm going to fill that emotional hole that they triggered. And it's extraordinarily exploitative and unhealthy. Um, Quite frankly, you know, I I don't know if they actually have studies, but if you watch less TV, um, you're going to desire things less and you're going to have... um, Less desire um, to fill holes that you didn't even know you had.
1: I mean, this comes just at the very simplest. Ad blockers on the internet, it turns out that I don't know that I need these socks with cats on them that say cute phrases if they're not the ads for them aren't following me around the internet, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things we talked about in uh, last week's show, we talked about curbing impulse purchases. And one of the biggest ways for me to curb impulse purchases is unsubscribe from mailing lists from companies. Because it turns out that, like, when I am notified that dresses are 50% off at the cute vintage dress company, suddenly, I think that I need it, and it's really important. But if I don't know about it, I don't feel any less worse. <laughs> yeah, Lillian.
2: Like, at- attention is your most precious resource. And that's what they ca- talk about with the attention economy, right? Like, everyone is trying to buy your attention. If you keep your attention for yourself, you become wealthy.
1: Yeah. Um, this even, like, the TV thing, it's not just ads. Like, one of the things that I notice um, mm-hmm. watching, um, like... T- TV shows set up this idea of this lifestyle, right? Yeah. And I spend a lot of time like unconsciously evaluating my own lifestyle against fictional characters' <laughs> lifestyles yes. who like are large production companies are paying for their wardrobes and I'm yes. going like oh, should I be like Olivia Pope on Scandal and have white wine pajamas that I eat popcorn for dinner in? Yes. Like, And I think like, oh, I need lounge wear. And then I realized like I was perfectly happy with my like 10 year old scrubs and T-shirt that I wear and hang out in my house in until I saw Olivia Pope wearing $500, you know, pajamas on the on the television. And there's just you get so many messages about what a realistic lifestyle is that is just totally unrealistic
2: (laughs) yeah it's uh, you know it's super interesting if you study like the history of media advertising you know like in the 60s 70s and 80s you still had images of working class and middle class families on television like Archie Bunker all in the family or like Roseanne Barr and Roseanne Um, and so people people were normalized to people having working-class lives. Nowadays, you can't really find that. Almost all television is upper-class or wealthy uh, images. Yep.
1: Uh, One show that I will recommend, not that this is exactly the path we should go down, but if you want to watch stories of working-class people, watch Call the Midwife. Also, it quite pretty much has no men in it. It's only women talking to other women about other women. <laughs> so, Call the well, Midwife is one of the shows I watch, and I go, they've been wearing the same outfit for weeks in this show. I don't feel like the need to go out and purchase clothing, which tends to be the thing that shows me.
2: And it think. passes the Bechtel
1: test. Uh, yeah. It, it actually doesn't for- pass the reverse Bechtel test. So, um, And it's a great advertisement for national health care. Um, oh. But... <laughs> Yeah, I. So we we may not end up recommending a TV show in the actual cut of this, but you know whatever. Um, Is there anything that you want to add? I mean, I think this is really illuminating for folks. Um, I think that big takeaway I want people to have from this conversation is that you don't need to have a fancy job in order to achieve financial independence, but you got to get yourself right before you can start approaching any of this. It's not just about the numbers.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. I think you have to get yourself right and you you have to desire, you have to want something more than consumerism. And so like, you know, people say, oh, you need to have a certain amount of income to do this. And like, I was a corporate lawyer for two years, so I made one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, which is a lot, Ooh. right? But then I was unemployed, uh, probably a number of, for a total of four years. I made, you know, thirty five thousand dollars as a school teacher for five years, and I worked at a nonprofit um, for about fifty thousand dollars for about ten years. Like, oh, and I was in law school for three years too. And so the which math, which is negative money, <laughs> which is negative money too, right? So, um, no, I know about. Debt, um, you know, university loans, but all of it is like you gotta want a life more. Um, you wanna, you gotta have a life that you want more than uh, the consumerist lifestyle that everyone else is doing. Yeah. And part of it is like you have to have an independent streak. You have to be willing to do what other people are not willing to do or don't want
1: yeah it turns out that being the person in your office that doesn't go out to eat for lunch every day you actually can get a fair amount of soul satisfaction out of that and even more so if you know that you are saving you know way more of your income than they're saving um so i've i've had a lot of people that you know one of the really huge advantages of how much i've saved is that i've always had that flexibility to like i've been able to I like to call it F.U. money. I've been yes. able to walk out of crappy situations. Yes. I left a job I was really unhappy with that, like, most people wouldn't have been able to turn down that paycheck. But I was able to, you know, make the choice to leave that. It also that stands for bad relationships or, yes. you know, bad bosses just yes. the same. So,
2: yeah, that's so impressive, Lillian. Like, I, I commend you. I'm, I mean, the reason I call my course financial freedom it is literally freedom. And it hit me. Th- the most um my dad died a few years ago um he died of als and um his last piece of advice for me was don't wait for anything um he said he'd waited his entire life to do things um and he couldn't do them anymore like our family are big chinese patriots but we had to flee the communists uh, in 49 and my uh, dad never uh, stepped foot in china and he was waiting Till retirement, to go home to his homeland and see it. Um, He and my mom wanted to go to Europe. They worked all their entire lives to save. They wanted to go to Europe. And because he got ALS, um, they couldn't. Um, And he died at age 65. And so one of the things I, I think about is we're not guaranteed any lifespan. And so by retiring at age 42, what I'm doing is, functionally, I'm buying time. Right. Like I'm not buying things. I'm buying my life back. And that goes to the, you know, the book, your money, your life. But to me, life is far more precious than like any bobble, like any like cat socks. Yeah. So I mean,
1: the cat socks are excellent, but I really don't need them. <laughs> the uh, I I just want to share this. This probably won't make it in the cut. But your story really reminded me of my so my grandparents were both Depression era immigrants and um They died millionaires. My grandfather died a millionaire. My yaya had preceded him by by a couple years. And they both, they came from Greece and Croatia, and they were going to do a big, once all the kids were in college, they had five kids, they were going to do a big tour of, um, you know, take a boat and go to both Greece and Croatia back to the places that they they hadn't been. My grandfather left when he was 13. He hadn't been back. And um, they chose not to go because of money. And when we found out that they had died millionaires because they were big, big savers, my father, who's, who's, you know, my father, this was his father, he got actually very angry because he realized that they had made this choice not to go, like, the most extravagant version of this trip 30,000, right? Like right. if they had been on the best cruise and, you know, spent months and months uh, there, like, it would have been the most extravagant version of this. And they had chosen not to do it. And they still would have died millionaires. And um, and that's one of those things where, like, that is making a choice with your money that, like, at, at the outset, it looks like something we're proposing, which is, like, don't spend money on on consumer goods and save all of your money. But at the same time, they they made a choice not to do something that would have been... So valuable to them, and they made a choice to do it because of this perceived scarcity in their life, despite the fact they didn't really have that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, what brings like that story? That story is totally poignant. Like, I, I've priced I'm going around the world uh, in April, and I've priced out the trip. The flights are going to cost three thousand dollars, right? Three thousand dollars is really nothing, and like housing, I'm staying with friends around the world. Um, what I realized is I've never thought about going around the world because it's time wealth that we're all. It's time poverty that right. we're, we're all worried about, right? Like, um, and by buying your freedom, um, what you're gaining is time wealth.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, we, I just talked about this with the last guest, but I did this, you know, huge trip. I went from Dublin to Shanghai by, uh, all by train in September. And I had so many people that told me like, oh, I can never afford to do that. And I'm like, I make less than $20,000 a year. Like, And I paid for that all in cash. You can afford to do it. Um, But to them, it's like, oh, but I don't get time off work. I don't get, you know, and it's like, well, I I set up my life to make the choices to be able to do that. Um, And and you can, too, if you really want that. But maybe you don't really want that. And you're just telling yourself that money is the barrier when, in fact, there are other things that are. So, well, it's been delightful having you on. Thank you so much for joining us, Douglas. Um, If people want to connect with the Financial Freedom course, uh, where would they go?
2: Um, The next cohort starts uh, February 1st through March 31st, and you'll be going through the course online wherever you are with other people, um, which is part of the community aspect. But uh, go to www.pugspdx.com, P-U-G-S-P-D-X.com, or you can just Google Portland Underground Grad School, and you'll find a link to the course on the homepage.
1: That's awesome. Well, hopefully if some people are looking at, you know, thinking about financial freedom and their brains are spinning after listening to this episode, that might be a really good resource for them. Um, And uh, as always, the Get Your Money Together workbook uh, will have cats explaining financial independence. So if you need cats, uh, I have some to walk you through kind of the steps and the withdrawal rates and everything. Really enjoyed having you on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Lillian. Well, that wraps our show for today. I'm so glad we were able to have Deacon and Douglas on. I did not never realize their names alliterated until now uh, to talk about early retirement. Our producer is Will Romy. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki. And I'm Lillian Fairbake, your personal finance educator and host. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you.